The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. In a world where great men and women of mythic power leapt from the comic book pages to the silver screen, two guys decided, hey, let's talk about that. This is Totally Super. Hi, welcome to Totally Super. My name is Justin. And I'm Arthur. And today, um, like, it's hard to say, you know, there are so many movies that we that we can talk about where we say, here's the one that started it all. This is arguably the movie that started the current modern superhero film era. Yeah. Um, uh, this is, of course, we're talking about X-Men. You knew that because you clicked on the link. Um, what, except that there were movies, superhero movies happening at this time as well. Um, the, uh, the most recent being, uh, if I look up, I'm just going to do a quick uh, Google search for Batman and Robin, right? Which did, you know, put things in the ground a little bit. Batman and Robin was 1997 and X-Men was 2000, right? Yeah. When was Spider-Man? Because that's the only other one that I can think of around this this time. It It was was after this. Here's the Um, difference that I think between Batman for movies like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin versus movies like X-Men. X-Men took itself seriously. Yeah. Batman, even Batman Forever, which was an enjoyable film. I liked that one. But it was, there was a little bit of deliberate camp, a, del- a little bit of deliberate send up of, oh, yeah, we know we're doing a comic book film, but hey, let's have fun doing a comic book film. Whereas so X-Men let's, was let's just. Go, let's go back to the seminal films, though. We, uh, um, we've already talked about Superman, the motion picture, mm-hmm. um, yep. which is 1979. Superman 2 um, arguably took itself even more seriously. The camp in Agreed. Superman 2, I would say, is there is camp. It's unintentional. It's unintentional, completely. Um, but it's trying very hard to take itself serious. Mm-hmm. Um, you had some direct-to-video uh, some direct-to-video um, comic book films. Uh, specifically, I can look at uh, The Punisher um, tried its best to be serious from time to time. That was the Failed. Dolph Lundgren one? Yes. Um and and I would say the Incredible Hulk TV series tried to be serious and was successful largely mm-hmm. um for its time. I think that this is uh one thing it did, one thing that it needed to do was save comic book movies from Batman and Robin. Yes. Because it had fallen apart, had it not? Batman and Robin. Yeah, that's a good point. Batman and Robin kind of killed the whole genre for a while. Um it and- was that bad. Um, and you have sort of, I guess, the crow actually took itself very, very seriously. Um, well, this, this is as not. As we've said f- before, it was a goth anthem. Of course, it took itself seriously. <laughs> it took itself really yeah. seriously. It was so serious. It was almost so camp serious. in its seriousness. <laughs> Agreed. Um, it's worth noting that uh, the blade came out uh, two years before this, so this is not the first big screen Marvel movie. Um, uh, blade, in fact, has the Marvel logo before it. Um, That's true. Uh, However, made it- most people today still wouldn't actually know that Blade was a comic book first. Whereas with X Men, even Joe Schmo down the street. Yeah. Um. Except that X Men belonged to the nerds at the time. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't. Maybe you had heard of X Men, but nobody knew who Wolverine. You know, unless you yeah. were already. Everyone knows Batman. Everyone knows Spider Man. Every. You know, and Blade. Yeah, that's true. You weren't necessarily as familiar with their origin story as uh, with yeah. Superman or Spider Man. These were these were at the time the X Men were not iconic characters, but were in fact the best selling comic book. 
Um, mm-hmm. So if you were a comic book fan, it was all about X Men. And I guess I guess I'm lying. I'm I'm totally wrong. I'm I'm dating myself, and that that's what I remember. There was the X Men TV series, which I was, was about a huge, to say the TV series was enormous, a huge hit. had a huge impact in yeah. bringing the X Men characters to mainstream consciousness. Well, but but they're still mine, man, because I grew up in the '80s, and no one knew who. Everyone was like, "Why do you have that weird picture of Freddy Krueger on your wall?" I'm like, "It's not Freddy Krueger. It's Wolverine. It's Freddy Krueger doesn't man. say Bub." <laughs> Welcome to my nightmare, bub. Um, I want to see <laughs> oh, the fight. A cross- I do. That's got to have been a crossover that's happened at some point. <laughs> um, so, and if uh, not, it so- should. Hugh Jackman, who's listening to this podcast, take note. Yes, come out of retirement so you could do Freddy versus Wolverine. <laughs> Freddy versus Wolverine. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be the best. So we have yes. a situation then. Why, uh, why make Logan your final farewell? You know, you can do better. When you can, when you can fight, when you can fight now <laughs> defunct 80s icon. 80s icon, Robert. Yeah. Um, coming into coming into X Men, there are a few things uh, to note. One. Um, there had not been really a team movie other than uh, than the Fantastic Four debacle, which I'm sure we'll talk about one day. Um, yes. The Roger Corman Fantastic Four debacle that never, ever saw screens and maybe was never intended. Um, oh, and isn't that a wonderful thing when we say the Fantastic Four debacle? No, the other one. And no, the other one. No, and no, no, not that other one. The other one. Yes, it's, it's clearly Fantastic Four are problematic. Um, or Reed Richards. So what you had is you had this was this was a comic book uh, that was incredibly popular in the eighties, outsold all other comic books by far. Um, mm-hmm. That then became a uh, a cartoon series in the nineties. Um, that uh, that then had been um, that then had been popular, but I was a little bit too old for it when it came out. I watched a little bit of it, but I was now in high school, so I wasn't car- watching cartoons. Um, and then now if it had come out in my twenties, I would have gone back to watching it. But in high school, yeah, it's I, funny. I was I don't. I don't think I watched it that much in high school. Although that's not because I was watching cartoons, because I was watching other cartoons. Um, and then, and then you get to the two thousands. Uh, you have Blade, which like you know, which was a hit, but was it a comic book? We're not sure. Uh, Batman and Robin, and you have the characters that are that are you know, frankly, a guy named Cyclops with one eye, a a woman named Storm with white hair, Wolverine with ridiculous hair, you know. You know, mm-hmm. Magneto and 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 blue skin mystique. You have a situation where this could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. Um. And yet, it it is until Iron Man. It is sort of the basis of how you do it. Now, what is your experience with X Men prior to this? Did you read it? Did you watch it? What was it? I was familiar with them. Uh, growing up overseas, I didn't have that much access to the comics, but every now and then I would get my hands on a trade paperback or something like that. Uh, so I was loosely familiar with the Claremont era, like the Dark Phoenix saga. Uh, it's only in recent years, uh, thanks again to Marvel Unlimited, its brilliant marketing strategy of, hey, here's all the comics you want digitally for 10 bucks a month. Uh, I've actually been able to go through and like actually read them sequentially, starting from like the late 70s up through. Um, so at the time, I was familiar with each and every one of the characters, but not super familiar. So my experience with the X-Men started back in like 1980, like five. Um, I was a, uh, uh, have a, had a very, very difficult um, uh, late elementary school period. Um, then some, some not awesome stuff, that stuff I wouldn't talk about on a podcast. Um, but I needed to find some kind of solace and didn't have it. Uh, Star Wars I had been into, but at that point I was a little old for it, you know, and it, it was gone, right? It was, you know, on TV occasionally, but it wasn't as much of a thing. Um, 
some friends brought me to a comic store because they were into comics. And I, uh, at the comic store, uh, bought um, Uncanny X-Men 215, um, which is right after the Mutant Massacre. Um, which was Oh, dr- so uh, the... the- the Genosha mutant massacre? No, no, no. Well before, well before mm. uh, Genosha. No, this My is uh, this is this is right after the um, the Marauders uh, showed up and uh, and wiped out all the Morlocks and oh, then, that's right. I and do then right. Yeah. like permanently injured Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Kitty and and Madeline Pryor was around and it was and Wolverine was looking for it was drawn by Alan Davis who is still my favorite comic book artist um I remember that so basically so X-Men was the not just one of your favorite comics but the first comic you got into yeah yeah by far like it like I would pick Neat. up a comic here and there at 7-Eleven but this is like I started collecting at 250 um mm-hmm. I spent all of my money collecting forward got the bags the boards the boxes and then I would save my allowance to go back in time and get back issues which at the time, in order to do that, the last back issue, you know, it was 75 cents a book. The last back mm-hmm. issue was a dollar. And it would be that way for, you know, most of the back issues, except the first uh, the first Massacre one and the Wolverine versus Sabretooth one, each of which was like $8. And then you mm-hmm. go back and it was they like... they were like big events. Yeah. And then you go back and it was like $2 until you got back to about, you know, issue 200, where it became like $4. And then you'd go back to like issue 180. And now it was like... $10. And by the time you get back to like, you know, issue 137, which is the one where Phoenix dies, you're spending, you know, $35 an issue and I'm mm-hmm. 12. So yeah. all of my money was spent. Um, and then, of course, I started collecting Excalibur, um, which was my favorite for a while. And then New Mutants, which is still my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then I it took me a long time to get into X Factor. I eventually got into it, you know, sort of on the side. Um, and then, yeah, I, I was, I was like knees deep in this. Um, I, this was, was my life. I had comic book posters all over my room. At one point I hung a hundred comic books all over my, uh, in my room on their, in their bags. I, at the height of my collecting, I had probably, probably seven boxes, um, nice. long boxes filled. I still own the entire run of new mutants. Yes. Including the first appearance of Deadpool. Um, uh, I sold, um, eventually all of my uncanny X-Men, which I had eventually from issue like 112 all the way to issue three something. Um, Mm -hmm. I sold it, uh, when I first got married, um, to pay for my, uh, to pay for my first two months of apartment. Uh, the Overstreet comic book price guide said that it was worth, uh, like $10,000. I got, uh, (laughs) $1,500. Um, Ain't so, that the way. So that is that is my history with X Men. Um, uh, I guess shall we get into the film? Yeah, so, sure. Um, all right, here uh, we go. Justin's go uh, the the segment. What are we going to call this segment? Justin's Justin's one minute. Justin's, Justin's one minute, one minute plot synopsis. Here we go. Okay, here we go. We open. Uh, we open in the Holocaust. We'll talk about it. Um, where we find a young Eric Lenshare being pulled away in the middle of his adolescence from his uh, family and exhibiting his first uh, magnetic powers. The man known as Magneto is now visiting with Charles Xavier outside of a of a Senate hearing where Doctor Jean Grey is defending the mutant population, but Senator Kelly is saying that mutants like weapons need to be registered. This conversation will be the central argument throughout this. Where the government is considering the idea of registering mutants because of what they can do, and mutants are scared that it will increase their persecution. Cut to young Marie, we'll talk about it, 
who in the middle of her first kiss absorbs the powers uh, of people. But in this case, with humans, just knocks them out and puts them in a coma. Going on the run, she runs all the way up to wooded Canada where she meets Logan, a man with a metal skeleton and claws. Logan and, and Marie leave as Logan is feeling bad and decides he wants to help her. And on the way, they, they get attacked by one saber tooth. Um, Sabretooth is uh, defeated by two new people who come up named Storm and Cyclops. The injured Rogue and, oh, sorry, her name is also Rogue. The injured Marie and Logan get taken to a school in Westchester, New York, Professor Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. When Logan wakes up, he realizes that uh, this is a school for mutants led by one Charles Xavier, played by Patrick Stewart, uh, where the teachers teach the students to control their powers and basic school stuff. Uh, the teachers also go out at night in leather costumes and not do what you your teachers do but actually save the world um they after saving uh after going out and going on on a mission uh they sorry i just totally lost my train of thought they didn't go on a mission at this point i'm thinking x2 um <laughs> they uh at the school uh ro- the school's been infiltrated by mystique uh who um tricks uh rogue into running away after an unfortunate injury that uh she delivers to wolverine after to her uh wolverine finds rogue on a train decides to uh decides to uh go back but magneto and his henchmen toad and Sabretooth, decide to say boy this is the worst synopsis i've ever done i'm just umming all over the place i watch this um uh, decide to save there's a big battle um rogue is captured magneto wants to use rogue to do what he did to senator kelly which is to run a super MacGuffin on top of the empire state building that releases a bunch of energy that'll turn everybody into mutants but in fact it just kills them the x-men not wanting this to happen try to go save rogue and also stop this from happening they have a battle in the gift shop um as well as the top of the empire state building where the evil mutants are defeated and the x-men return back to the school uh wolverine is given information from professor xavier about his past where he rides off on a motorcycle and that is my really terrible umming and awing synopsis i am i know for a for a one minute synopsis you clocked in at only three and a half minutes so that's not terrible well it's well yeah but i also was like damn uh, I'm sorry, I have not had my copy, ladies and gentlemen. You're just going to have to. De- That's um, fine. No, it was good. The the only thing I would uh, potentially take issue with would be uh, would be listing uh, Magneto's device as a super MacGuffin. Uh, I... Technically, I think a MacGuffin is something that all the characters want, but okay. doesn't actually. It's it's only important because people want right, it. Let's it just actually oh, actually. Well, the, the name plot. of the device was the plot device. <laughs> That's what it was called. Yeah, <laughs> that was really. Yeah, I might I might potentially list that as uh phlebotinum, which is a trope for any kind of scientific device that does something, but you don't really the know how the science works um, behind it. Yeah. The unobtainium. Unobtainium, yeah, that sort of thing. Um uh, all right. So let's let's get into it. Should a comic book movie start at the Holocaust? Are this we okay comic book with this? movie? Absolutely should. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. Because no oh, here here's let me Here's why I think this film worked. It took itself seriously sure. and it worked. A um, couple reasons for this. First, uh, thanks to CGI, special effects had finally gotten to the point where uh, where we're able to suspend disbelief with much more ease. So, uh, like even watching this yesterday, yeah, I could see like there were differences between a film that would be made today, but... By and large, a lot of the CGI and the effects hold up and hold up real well. 
Yeah, I, um, I would say so I would say the, for the most part, yeah. Yeah, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, and this was the moment when they first announced the film that I knew it was going to be good. They cast Patrick Stewart and more importantly, Ian McKellen as Magneto. Uh, who is I don't not, know more importantly. I, I, I here's the thing. I, well, no, Patrick Stewart my, is what we I was going to say Patrick Stewart is what we always imagined. Like for me when, though. When we but, were but in school the in the 80s me, casting this movie, we were saying Patrick Stewart, you know, Captain Picard is got to like that and was, that's why and that's why Ian McKellen is more important and here's why because at least to me because Patrick Stewart it was a total no-brainer because when we picture uh, when we picture Charles Xavier, we picture an older, bald guy in a wheelchair. And I'm sorry, but we'd we'd just seen Patrick Stewart for all of Next Generation. He was there. That's he an was old bald guy, bald guy sitting in a chair. Is <laughs> an old bald guy sitting in a chair. Magneto, we frequently picture as a younger. You know, Michael Fassbender is actually a closer idea to what we would picture as Magneto just from the comics. Ian McKellen, up until this point was only really known for the Shakespeare films he'd done. He well, I was think he had done Gods and Monsters before this. He'd done Gods and Monsters, done... but even that, that was an indie film. He was not part of the mainstream consciousness, much less the geek Or was it Gods and Monsters or Apt or Ab People? One or the other. But um, I had, I had seen been either, him. But the, I had yes, seen him. Yes, but mag, by making Magneto sort of an older character, as well as casting a more classical actor in it, it sent a very strong message that, no, we are taking this film seriously, which means by necessity, we have to take the themes of this film seriously, which is why yeah, I, th- it, I think it's starting good for with the, f- the Holocaust was a really important thing because it sets up very clearly exact, you know, starting with the Holocaust and then going into the Senate meeting where as Magneto is leaving and uh, Xavier tries to tries to call him back and all he says is he says charles i've heard this all before we yeah, needed well, I think to have seen what that was in order for that line to have had any impact there's an issue that we have with the comics of course that characters don't age in the comics right that's that's a thing kitty pride was a teenager for 15 years um the problem that that runs into of course is that the x-men came out in 1966 and the origin story for magneto was that his wife and daughter were killed in the Holocaust. Um, and that worked in 1966 because he could be, you know, 40 back mm-hmm. in 1966. Um, they've had to retcon this quite a few times um, because, you know, at this point, you can't be the age that... May- and Magneto and, and Xavier were supposed to have come up. I don't know what yeah. Xavier's age was supposed to be in the comics because Xavier, you can see... When Xavier puts on a super suit, he also is always super buff. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 hard to determine what their ages are. I know at one point Magneto was de-aged and like to a baby, and then re-aged to a younger man. Um, but the Holocaust thing has always been there. In fact, it was not him as a kid; it was him as an adult. Uh, in yeah. in the Holocaust, the issue that I the issue that I have is that this is a movie that is ultimately about a fight between you know. Oddly costumed people jumping around, cracking jokes as they're doing martial arts and shooting CGI at each other. And and there is a sense that that using the Holocaust as a way to make your film feel more serious is maybe not um, sensitive to the magnitude of the Holocaust. Is I that s- would disagree with that if or I would agree with that if the rest of the film had just been people in tight suits fighting with each other and cracking jokes. But as I was watching this film again, there's actually very little combat. 
in it compared to other superhero films. And while there are a few jokes in there, and for the most part, they land, um, there is, there's a lot less tongue-in-cheek to this than in, like, say, the Iron Man film or something like that. I think, um, I mean, you could make the argument that, yes, to use the Holocaust to make your film more serious uh, disrespects the Holocaust. But you could also make that argument to say using the Holocaust to make your comic book villain more serious disrespects it. So if you're okay with it in the comics, you have to be okay with it in the film. Yeah, no, I hear you. And and I think that ultimately because the film deals with, you know, a form of racism that mm-hmm. that that because that is, you know, a stated thing in the film, I'm mostly okay with it. There is just this part of me that that this maybe ten percent of me that's like, eh. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm willing to move on. Let's, uh, let's talk because, because the, the very next scene you have is a scene with Senator Kelly, um, in the conversation with Dr. Jean Grey about, uh, about whether or not mutants should be registered. And this is the point, the first point where I, as an X-Men fan, <coughs> sort of begin to bristle. And there are things about this film that I bristle against. Um, one is the unnecessary changes to the character. Um, okay. that bug me. Dr. Jean Grey, who they have to call Dr. Jean Grey at the beginning. As a matter of fact, Senator Kelly keeps going, this Dr. Jean Grey, they want to remind you, she's a doctor because you need to have a reason that she's taking care of Logan. Um, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like this, stuff like the alteration in, in Rogue's character, the addition of the name Marie, when she, you know, the, the comic has been happy enough calling her Rogue for 20 years why do we have to you know let's name her um uh things like this uh for as much as they get right uh i think that there are things like dr jean gray that just bug me the jean gray despite the powers that she has um the powers in her relationship with logan i don't recognize this jean gray um as the jean gave from the comics they retcon it a little bit next too but i don't i don't see her your thoughts my thoughts um i didn't care uh, but part of that is also I'm not okay with Jean Grey specifically. I'm not too familiar with Jean Grey, or I wasn't at the time. The, I mean, Jean Grey is a character who died in nineteen what early nineteen eighties, seventy eight. Yeah, I think nineteen seventy eight. So that's a that's a long time. Um, she's not. It's more her. She doesn't have at the time that the movie came out. It wasn't so much that she had any impact on the X-Men so much as her specter haunted the mansion um, and a lot of the other characters. So I had only really seen Jean Grey as remembered by people like Cyclops and Wolverine who were uh, who were still present in the Yeah, no, the, in I the guess that's books. true. And I'm nitpicking, um, I guess. I mean, and it's, yeah, it, and ultimately it comes down to, and this is always a very personal subjective thing, is we both acknowledge that films have to change certain things when making the adaptation from comic book to film but it's and I'm a hypocrite I'm a, a hypocrite about this because when Batman no. came out and everybody was like like the Joker didn't kill Batman's parents and I was like who cares it's still a good well, I no, think it's- I, I think it's the it, it, you're not a hypocrite about it because you're not saying that you disagree with the need to change things you're saying that in this particular instance eh, you didn't feel that the change was necessary 
Well, I I know I'll go I'll go as far as to say that I had a problem with the fact that Wolverine was so tall, and I didn't I had a problem with the costumes, and I was that fan. I got to admit, I was mm-hmm. the one. I was okay. the fan that the movie is making fun of when they say, "What would you prefer, yellow spandex?" Yellow tie. Like, <laughs> the, the, like the I'm I'm the fan that they're flipping off there because. I was really, I wasn't part of the internet rage, but inside I had like the nerd rage myself, like that, that the, any alteration of the characters isn't right. Mm-hmm. It's not what you're supposed to be. And I'm the I'll guy be honest, who, this, when, when the people film- get mad at the Harry Potter movies and when people get mad at, um, like I, my, my wife is, is kind of bummed when she sees the ready player one trailer she's like this this doesn't seem right this doesn't and i'm like what are you talking about this is amazing she's like yeah it's just not what the book does you know why 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 are the, why are these two characters meeting in this trailer that's they shouldn't meet until this point like it's it's you know and i'm always like yeah mm-hmm. whatever makes the better film but the x-men yeah, until something- it's something that you care about and then yeah well, the important it, thing is that we stay aware of our cognitive dissonances it's it's the, and uh, i guess that for me the value of the X-Men was that my X-Men are finally in the movies. So when mm-hmm. I anything is not my X-Men, I bristled mm-hmm. it for I don't any longer. But at the time No, I think know, that's I think that's something that every geek here's my theory is that all of us who grew up geeks with these things that were precious to us, especially because not everybody else knew about them. They were ours. They did help yeah. fuel our identity. We all of us have had a moment where we have essentially seen this thing that was precious to us suddenly go mainstream, um, as frequently happens when a comic book is made into a film, and then seeing that in its process of going mainstream, it is changed somehow. Uh, that is inevitable. Um, at, as a geek, you are going to have that moment at some point. The question is, and, and I think what you're describing is something that all of us go through initially, which is the, the first reaction is, Oh God! They've changed it all. They've ruined it. Um, but it's it is the sign of the more mature geek, I think, to look back on that and say, no, that feeling was very honest. But you know, we we grow beyond that. Yeah. Uh, no, w- without yeah. a doubt. And the films large largely go beyond that. Although I think there's there will be nerd rage throughout the series as they introduce things that are problematic. All that being said, let's get into the plot of the actual movie. We've of course seen the Holocaust. The actual scene, plot, so we, yeah, yeah. So we we open with uh, with Xavier and Magneto having a quiet conversation outside of this. Um, how great is this scene? Like, um, literally, I, how awesome well, I, is it just to watch these two guys just talk quietly to each other? Well, I think that's again just to go with it. That is what announced this as. Oh no, this is just as an a cheese superhero film. Is because the first thing that you've got aside from the Holocaust scene at the beginning was just Titanic actor just yeah. talking to each other and being awesome. It's just like I've seen this so... all before, Charles. <laughs> we had a future, I like Charles. Of our, I, Not them. <laughs> I like how <laughs> they no longer both matter. Of our Ian McKellen sound like Sean Connery. Um, it's so good. Um, and and you're right. It does set a tone for for the the odd relationship that we as fans understand because we read the comics. But the fact that they're friends, that they yeah. like generally not not just respect. Respect is too weak a word. They care about each other. They care about each other's feelings. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, so we get them, and then we go to the first kind of big reveal of everything that we've always wanted to see uh we end up in canada um poor rogue slash marie i hate that her name is marie um i was talking to alexia uh uh about how she was first of all so bummed about this rogue um Mm -hmm. because 
this is certainly consistent with early Rogue. If you read like back, I think Uncanny X-Men 171, I think uh, right after even she got the powers of Miss Marvel, which by the way, Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're about to do that character. What if you were really bold and had Rogue Killer? Um, uh, but even when she joined the X-Men, she was kind of meek and unsure of herself. But the Rogue that we all grew up with in didn't the, the comics... Yeah, didn't- didn't the didn't the rogue in the comics start as a villain? Yeah, she was. Well, first of all, she's Mystique's foster daughter, right? Um, and she was sort of manipulated by Mystique to fight Ms. Marvel, who is now going to be Captain Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and she uh, she ends up draining her powers to the point where she kills her. So the flight and the invulnerability and the super strength that's all from from Miss Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what that does to Rogue's personality eventually when she gets with the comics, she's very much like, Hey, sugar, I'm sexy and I'm so strong and I'm just going to go and kick some butt. I mean, that was the Rogue from the comics. So this, yeah. this meek wallflower Rogue was problematic for me. Um, I get what they were going for, but again, you know, what, did you have a problem with that at all? Um, again, I didn't, uh, at this point in watching, when I first watched the film, I was not familiar enough with the comics. To- yeah, that, that's, it's just so not what fans wanted from Rogue that now I we've have gotten- thoughts on, I have thoughts on Rogue, but that is, uh, in particular, uh, we're going to get into that when we discuss X2. Uh, I have yeah. thoughts on how well, like I completely understood why they needed to, or why they cast Rogue, they chose Rogue as a character for this film. Um, yeah. particularly in the plot device at the end. Um, however, by doing that, they unfortunately locked in Rogue as the young female character for the rest of the, when, yeah. arguably, Kitty Pride, especially in X2, Kitty Pride would have been a much better character to fill that archetype. I absolutely agree. And also the relationship is, it's supposed to be Kitty Pride in, in the relationship, clearly. Like, it's yeah. clearly, if you if you ever get a chance to read the excellent uh, Kitty Pride and Wolverine six-issue miniseries from the 80s, um, do. It is one of the best things that Marvel has ever put out. Oh, um, cool. And it's all about Wolverine. It's sort of a sequel to the Wolverine, uh, and it deals with Wolverine and the Samurai Cool. Anyway. Yeah, um, there was, uh, like, the more I go back and watch these and everything, and don't get me wrong, I really loved uh, both X and X, but... Uh, there is part of me that's just like, why Magneto needed the young female character so that yeah. we could have made it Kitty Pride instead of Rogue. Yeah, yeah, I and I agree with you. Rogue, Rogue is is you know what makes Rogue interesting in the comics is one that she is you know super strong and sexy and buff and 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 powerful and she flies and she's basically Superman. Um, and she can mm-hmm. absorb your power. Um, and the other thing that makes her interesting is in the comics, she has a uh, she has a, a, a specific um, thing to her personality. It's almost I, I don't want to say Dr. Jekyll, but she has a she hallucinates pretty much Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers is stuck in her head and is pissed at her for killing her. Mm-hmm. And so Carol asserts herself from time to time. And Rogue kind of is, you know, got a little bit of split personality. Um, because of Carol. So that that's such an interesting thing. All of that is part of who she is. So while the powers are there, this is a rogue that I like. She's rogue in name only, honestly. Um, okay. So here I am at this point in the film. I've bristled against Dr. Green, Jean Grey because it's not Jean Grey. It's absolutely not rogue. Xavier seems okay. Magneto seems great. They're good actors. I don't know anything about them, though, yet. I need an X-Man. I need an X-Man to show up to go, hey, we're going to do it right. And then we get into a bar fight. And I'm sorry. All 
I, I'm sorry. Just every time you say something like that, it takes everything in me to stop going. Just like, oh, did the poor little geek have his identity challenged by a different take? No, it's not oh. that. It's, 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 here's the here's the thing: is that is that these aren't little differences, right? Like the difference in Rogue would be like Frodo Baggins carrying a gun. Like it's just not like if. Or, <laughs> I'm or, loving that image. It's <laughs> just like it's not or if Frodo was like badass from moment one or if somebody decided to do a, a, a remake of Star Trek where, you know, Captain Perk, Captain Kirk behaved as like Captain Picard would like it's just not it's so it's so not her that that again, if I want to see the X-Men on screen, I need this is the one the one they need to get right is Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy, do that. Um, yeah, I have from, to say this is the first time that I ever liked Wolverine. Could never because but by the time that I started reading X Men comics, sure, every yeah. other line was Bub. Um, yeah, I think it's but they, telling Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, act from what I heard, actually he never read the comics before doing the film, which I think sometimes I'm a little wary of when somebody does that. But I think in this case, I think it really um, it worked great because he didn't bring any of the caricature to it. He just brought a brooding sincerity that I think brought it back to the original. Uh, to the original meaning of what will, Wolverine was. I will agree with you up to a point. I need the caricature. I need it there. And they give it to you first. That's the first thing they do. As they go, they go, look, you want the Wolverine from the comics? Here he is. He's in a bar fight, hitting people in the head with his... You, you, I love the clank when he hits the, when he headbutts the guy. It's just really satisfying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you see the berserker rage. You see all of that there. Now, for the rest of the movie, he pretty much is chilled out. But you get to see what he's capable of. The um, and the scene is so great. The 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 almost Spider Man turnabout. Like I feel like they're stealing a page from Spider Man with the, the guy who won't pay him for the wrestling match. I'm like, oh, is he about to let a criminal get away? And learn with great power comes great response. Um, uh, and he and Roger teamed up. Uh, they go out. They are in the they're they're in the van. They're finally caught by uh by uh Sabretooth shows up. Now, how are, we are just you on talking the plot saber- or are we allowed are we just talking plot or are we allowed to jump in here with uh cuz it sounds like we're not doing we're not doing quick 3 minute summary of the plot. It's um so you know what? Now that I said that, I'm just going to jump in. I need to say that film that moment in the van. Um there are like there are a few instances in cinema history where one line sums up a character perfectly. Like that line becomes the, like the gestalt of the yeah. character. Uh, Hannibal Lecter's last line in Silence of the Lambs, I'm having an like, awesome. Perfect. Because it, yeah. con- it conveys cannibal, but it also conveys that wry, sardonic, uh, dark humor. Um, the moment when Rogue turns to, uh, turns to Logan and says, does it hurt when they come out? And Every just his time. response, Every time. Yeah. That, that, that captures, to me, that captures Logan and the very best Logan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's astonishing what. You- yeah, there was a one of the things I loved in the comics that they would do is is Wolverine. Um, after a berserker rage, like like when when he comes kind of back to his senses, is is a thing of beauty. And the right around again, the, right around the two tens of X Men, Claremont was never better at sort of capturing the the you know the, it's interesting. There's a when right around the same time they started reprinting the old X-Men, not the old, old X-Men, but like from the moment that like Wolverine and Nightcrawler showed up called the mm-hmm. classic X. And it was a reprint of like, like right after giant size X. And they would have, uh, it, they would have at the end of the books, they would have like six page, a new six page story set in that old classic time. 
And mm-hmm. there was a story that that I will remember um, that, that I always remember where where Wolverine is going out uh, um, and he says, I just can't stay in here anymore. I got to go out and hunt. And Storm, who at that point is has never killed anything. She's a vegetarian. She like she she is very concerned with life. Goes just really kind of gets in his face about it. Goes, I can't believe you would go out and take another life just for fun. And he goes, do you want to know what hunting is? Hunting is going outside, walking up as close as you to a skittish doe, close enough to touch her. I never said anything. Ooh, and yeah. that was that moment where you where where you get an insight to the quiet Wolverine, the that that is something that I really I really dig as well. The idea that that there's a there's a there's a hulkness to him. A a he can become the Hulk, but a lot of his life is about keeping that animal in check. Hmm. Um and I and I dig that here. The idea that it hurts every time, the the resi- how he's so resigned to it. Yeah, um, he's not complaining. He's just mm-hmm. stating it. Um, nope, that's I dig the, it. That's the way it is. Saber Sabertooth shows uh, up. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So quick other thing, just because I think this is delightful. Uh, another Hugh Jackman bit of trivia uh, from what I remember reading from an article. So Hugh Jackman again didn't read the comics or anything before the films, and so he spent a lot of his prep time like studying wool because he was ready to you know get into the character and get into physicality of it and uh um you know so he shows up and he tells brian singer like all right so yeah i've been really studying wolves so i can like sort of get their physicality and brian singer's like well yeah but Wolverine, that's a different animal and he's like yeah but wolverines don't actually exist do they yeah yes yes they're like they do like animals they're, they're they're a creature in the canadian <laughs> and hugh jackman was like oh well <laughs> son of a that's I really, really that. fun. Um, Sabretooth shows up uh, and and we get our first sort of X battle. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, he again, it's a bit of a retcon that I got to deal with. Um, and again, you're, you're going to be you're going to be rolling your eyes and laughing at me this whole time because the idea two things happen here that I don't get one Sabretooth the causes a car accident. Um, the Wolverine flies out and is knocked out for what must be hours. Um and Storm and Cyclops show up and save her. This is our first view of the Wait, X-Men being wh- wh- X-Men. Why must it be ours? To me, it just Because Wol- Wolverine from this moment is unconscious until he wakes up in the X-Men. Oh, yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, uh, this will not jibe with later versions of Wolverine. It will certainly not jibe with things that happen in X3. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, his claws went back in after he fell. Like after he is unconscious, the idea that his claws automatically retract. It just bugs me. I'm sorry. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> you don't like it. Me think it's bad. You're gonna hear me do this all through the X Men movies, but I have to. Here's That's here's all the right. one thing You're I will say. You're gonna hear my response. Um, uh, Storm and Cyclops showing up. I know we we yeah you know, we laugh a little at the Matrix costumes. They're kind of badass. I gotta well, admit I like the costumes. Yeah. Yeah. I I do too, but I'm I'm with Wolverine about the yellow spandex thing. I do think that the costumes evolve. That's one thing that gets better from film to film, as I think that they they find a way to make the costumes work better than they do in the first film. And in the the second one, I really like, and we'll talk about it when we get there. How they're pretty much the costumes from the first film, but everyone has a little bit of flair to it that reminds you a little mm-hmm. more of the comics. But that when Storm and Cyclops show up. Um, I dig Cyclops's blast. It's not quite like the comics. The one thing that they you can do in the comics that you can't do in I always like how flat his blast is in the comics. You get the sense mm-hmm. like in the in the comics it's just it's always just the color red and it's always just like two parallel lines. And I've just always kind yeah. of dug that one thing that Cyclops in the comics they, they establish it's a force blast, not a heat blast. And something that that 
uh, that Cyclops is, is really good at in the comics is that he can, uh, he's good at like geometry in his head so that he can be, if you're standing behind him in a room, he can figure out where in the room to point his eyes. So it bounce, 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 and hits you in the back of the head. He's like great at pool, mm-hmm. but like doing it with a sight with a big blast. Yeah. Um, but I know you can. And this is pretty cool. Like they managed to get like a guy with blasts out of his eyes. That's what I, that's what I wanted. Um, I kind of dug him. You? Yeah. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, no, I thought they, uh, no, Cyclops' powers worked very well. Um, and I like that he's really unlikable in this because guess what? Cyclops is kind of a dick. I, well, and here, so here's the thing. I've gone back and read through, um, you know, the big thing with Cyclops in the comics is, yes, he is, he's a, he is, as you say, he's a bit of a dick. Um, but he's also wrestling with, for a good portion of, he is also de facto, like, of the yeah. X-Men. Uh, and so and a it lot is of his de facto. Arc... It is de facto because he never craves it. Even if you read the like read X Men number seven from the sixties, even then, kind of the leader because he's sort of become the de facto leader, and he's always kind of like, I don't know if I'm good enough. Like it's it's yeah. a thing, and that and that's what makes Cyclops interesting and also likable. Uh, without that arc, yeah, he does. Uh... Uh, he does pretty much sort of come off as a bit of a whiny, or not, not even a whiny, he comes off as a frat boy. Sure. Like, you could see him popping his collar. Um, I think you could, um, and I think by the time you get to X-Men First Class, maybe you do. Um, <laughs> but I I think that, that, yes, you could see him popping his collar, but at the same time, he's sort of depressive and broody underneath all of it. Um, I mm. think, you know, James James Marsden is an incredibly likable um, yeah. I love him. He's hilarious. He's, there are two movies. He, I've seen him a bunch of stuff, but there are two movies where I dig him. One's called uh, Enchanted. Um, oh, yeah. Where he is hilarious. Um, and the other one is a movie called Hop, which is a really underrated film um, where it's him and a CGI rabbit uh, voiced by Russell Brand. Um, what a difficult and thankless role to basically be by yourself through most of the movie pretending that you're acting with a little rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um and he does a great job. He's unbelievably charming. The fact that he doesn't you have play great Cyclops pedigree in doing that because he had. I mean, you know, Jimmy Stewart had to go through the same thing. That's true. That's true. But in this case, you can see the rabbit. Um. Uh. Wow. Random Harvey reference. Like. Well, you're talking. It can't be that random. You're talking about a film where a guy sees a rabbit that nobody else can see. I mean, you've essentially got that Donnie Darko, and that's it. That's the rabbit That's cannon true. there. Of course That's I'm going to reference that. Um, uh, um, but I think that, you know, the fact that he is an actor turns off that charm. And it's just sort of, you know, he clearly, this is a guy who understands what Cyclops is supposed to be. So, again, that character is incredibly reckoning. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Storm, like we said earlier, is not as recognizable to me. But she, you know, especially the terrible accent. Um, but uh, boy, does she look right and the powers look right. I'm I The complaints I may have had earlier... I'm starting to, they're starting to fade for me um, because this is, this is sort of the stuff that I'm there to see. Um, I think it's the, I mean, Halle Berry was an interesting place for that. Certainly she brought a lot of name recognition. So that was a, from the studio's, pers- like from a studio perspective, that was a good call to cast her. And she's not terrible. Um, in this, in, the, in this is, film, she's terrible. I'll be, I'll, I'll come out and say, I hate her. I out and out hate her in X1. I like her a lot better in X2. Um, but um, I think she's, I, I think, think that, I think she's disastrous. Well, I think the, I think the reason why you think that is because there's, a, especially in X1 and the way it was written, and especially from the comics, there is a gravitas. Um, sure. I mean, there's always that sense of the African princess. Um, and Halle Berry is 
given the right role, a very accomplished actress in her own right, like just see Monsters Ball. But she, but given but the wrong role, if that, you see Catwoman get, or yeah, but she's given the, she's not the one to capture that sense of gravitas, like. Somebody more like Angela Bassett. Uh, oh, that was, I was just going to say that. Would have been, Why was it not yeah. Angela Bassett, especially at that time? Yeah. Storm, and you know, we're jumping around to the plot and stuff. But the other issue I have with Storm is one: her scene with Senator Kelly is is so wrong for her character. Um, mm-hmm. The idea that she hates normal people um, and that she's afraid of them, and the way she kind of runs out of the room like a frightened child. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Storm is you know the fact that she electrocutes Toad. Um, all of this is, you know, again, that's not, I talked about a storm who was, you know, st- you said strong African princess, you know, treasures all life. You know, I don't see that, but mm-hmm. she looks good. Um, and yeah, powerful. I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of just like the, they, they just don't do that much with utilitarian than- characters. If you're playing an iconic character as a utilitarian character, you know, they're willing to do away with things that, that it's a problem throughout the X-Men movies, especially the early X-Men movies. It's going to be a giant problem in X-Men Origins Wolverine where you turn Deadpool into a utilitarian character and get rid of everything literally you literally talk. have <laughs> at the end of, of X- he doesn't speak. What are you doing? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that um, there's a character that's a, a non-humus um, that they do get right, though, because Wolverine wakes up um, and he wakes up in the X-Mansion. The X-Mansion is awesome. The yeah. X Mansion no, is it, that's everything exactly I ever what you would expect the X Mansion to. Yeah, um, I had the privilege this last summer of going up to Toronto uh, with my family, and uh, there is, you know, when you go to like New York City, you can get like one of those city passes that like you can do like mm-hmm. five exhibits for you know significantly reduced money. So I did it, and we did the the CN Tower, which you have to do, and we did you know the aquarium, did some other things, and then there's this old castle in the middle of Toronto called Castle Llama, um, and we went there, and I'm walking around and i realize while i'm walking around inside of it hold on i'm in the x mansion oh that's um, awesome and we go downstairs and it's there the the room where storm teaches uh the classroom uh where kitty pride meets bobby and 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 yeah like it's all there and i'm walking around I'm like holy crap this is amazing i'm walking around there so if you ever get a chance to go to toronto castle Loma is where they shot it i accidentally awesome. went to the x-men it was pretty cool there you go um, but I just want to say how, how great though. Um, I do need to talk about another character that in this movie is a minor character, much bigger character next to, but, uh, Bobby Drake, Iceman. Yep. Um, the first X-Man that we ever knew in my life, I don't know about yours, was Bobby Drake Iceman. You? I cannot remember, but he certainly is. He's- There's a show called Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends that That's was right. on. So Spider-Man, Iceman, and... And Firestar. Firestar? Yes. Um, but Iceman... Is Bobby Drake in that show? It's Bobby Drake. It's Iceman. Um, so before I ever knew X Men, before I owned a single comic book growing up, I watched religiously every single episode of Spider Man and his, um, which they had two X Men adventures. Um, but seeing Iceman, the choice to make because at the time in the comics, Iceman was you know he was passe. It was not really a big deal. So the choice to include mm-hmm. him um, was particularly lovely for me. Like as a kid growing up, it was like. I'm seeing, I'm seeing Iceman from Spider-Man and his amazing friends in my, I mean, it's just, it was sort of like, it made it was, me. It was a very effective cameo for you. 
Uh, yes. And the fact that he develops into the character he does, I love him. Um, but uh, I love the X-Mansion stuff. How about you? What's your sense of, of X-Men as a really brief Harry Potter-esque boarding school? That's uh, very true, actually. I mean, you are you are absolutely right in saying that the X-Mansion is in itself a character in much the same way that uh, that Hogwarts itself. And I think they nailed it. I did great, both the grounds. Uh, it is... Interesting and understandable that they left out the danger, that they were just like, nope, that is a whole other thing that we are not even touching. Um, yeah, so the, no no director in his right mind would include the danger room, which is why Brett Ratner does it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the danger room, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's like, now look, you know, nowadays, uh, nowadays they could do the danger, um, but... The danger room, because it is, it's almost like a character in and of itself. It's the, well, and in the comics, it does become a character. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think it was the, it was the right call for them not to, uh, not to, not to. Um, well, and that goes directly to the tone that they're striking that this, and I think this is where you really get, you have the sci-fi stuff underneath. You see Cerebro, you know, again, we got to call out everything silly in this movie. They call out. You'll notice that this movie is really scared of being silly. So when we hear about sci mm -hmm. we hear about code names, Wolverine's like, what do we call you? Wheels? The stupidest thing I ever heard. You see Cerebro, yeah. the biggest sci-fi thing. Certainly is a big round room. They get in costume. You guys go outside and like everything that could possibly be like like silly. It's clear that the writers and director are really scared that we're gonna think that it's silly. You're right. Um, Which for the time that it came out, uh because this you know one of the first, it's might not have been the wrong call because by no, lampshading those things, by lampshading those things, they're saying it's like, look, we're trying to handle this. And I think that that's why the danger is not, you know, they, to the best of their abilities, until you get to the, the plot device at the end, um, uh, the the danger room is too fantastical for what they're essentially they're yeah. saying. Essentially, they're saying there are mutants. They're discriminated against. Most of them are here at this school. Um, and we're trying to keep them safe from the world. And we're, and the world is it's it's an allegory for discrimination. And we're going to throw in a couple of actions. Um, but really, mm -hmm. this is what it's all about. Um, yeah. And the inclusion of the danger room, I think, would you know, it's it's a big enough deal that the jet comes out of the the, the basketball court. out of the basketball. But court. I think yeah. that I think that you're absolutely right. The danger turn this into something that it's not. Up to this point, the X Men, like in all the comics, is still <coughs> not gone to space. Um, which is something they do yeah. a lot. Um, and you can see when you go to Fantastical, you get X-Men Apocalypse, which we'll talk about eventually, which is, mm -hmm. you know, what happens when you forget everything the X-Men was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we go, uh, things happen to the school. We keep cutting back to all the things at the school. Um, but we also get a sense of Magneto's lair. Um, where, you know, th through various plot machinations, Magneto captures Senator Kelly and we get to have, um, the conversation between the frightened racist Senator and the, uh, and the would be dictator as a, as an anti-racist racist, um, uh, speciesist, I guess, um, and their conversations and the development of that strain. So my first question is to you, what, what do you think of Magneto's lair and spe specifically, what do you think about his desk toy? Um, oh, the desk toy, yeah, which was essentially the, um, the word for that. The is, little you know, clicker balls. The, the five steel ball, the five steel, yeah, the clicker yeah. balls, the five steel. Um, as I was watching it, I was just like, the first time I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then watching it again, I was like, 
I don't know if that's... Well, I, it was clearly there primarily just because it's a cool effect that shows the audience yeah. exactly his powers and everything. Um, now, rather than rather than approaching it from the perspective of, would Magneto have that? Because, uh, again, that's coming from the perspective of, oh, I have this image of him already in my head from the comic. Um, what it says that he does... Uh, says about him as a character is that he is a grandstander uh it's like you said like i i i like that you used the phrase was not 100 percent in this just to help the mutant race he wants the race him being super realizes it now or um the clicker balls is a gaudy and unnecessary show of his power however classy uh so that is my thought on magneto uh the lair I... seems su- suitably supervillain enough and you see, here's the thing. I think that Lair is too supervillain. I think that, frankly, um, you cast a different actor as Magneto, Magneto and half of this movie falls apart. Um, you did not cast Rebecca Romaine because of what a spectacular actress she is. And you mm-hmm. didn't cast Tyler Maine as Sabretooth because of what a spectacular actor he is. And you don't cast Ray Park as Toad because of the spectacular actor that he and then you've got Magneto doing things like walking across the steel bridge that he's creating that's cool and opening and closing uh um the bars and you know when he wants to look past them he pulls them out and there's like you know stuff crumbling everywhere and he lives in a giant cave and you know I think that if you were to put a lesser actor in this role this is dumb like it's yeah, it really that's a good like, point that really Magneto is the only actually de- of the villains. Magneto is actually the developed character, at least in this film. Um, yeah. They, they certainly develop Mystique more in uh, the second one. I mean, I will say, I granted, now don't get me wrong, I really liked Mystique. Uh, I will also completely acknowledge that there are reasons why I liked Mystique. Um, but, but Mystique is actually, that was a major change from the comic character. The yeah, mystique let's talk in the comic. Well, because the mystique in the comic is she's almost matronly. You get the sense that she's she is an older character. Um, you know, she's yeah, not. Yeah, there's no way to tell how old y- she is or is not. Yeah, the, she's but like everything in her she personality. Wants. She's not this young hip martial artist. Uh, yeah, and uh, and so I thought it was really well, and interesting they, and that they, they went retcon with. here. I again, the retcon uh, mystique is one of the biggest problems I have in all of the X movies, and I guess we'll talk about it when we get to X first class. But supposedly she's the same age, age as Charles. Um, which I don't get that. There's no sense that this mystique knows Charles. There's no, you know, nothing that they do later is, is here. It's a retcon that I kind of have an issue. Um, I will say, yeah, I I very, now I love the Jennifer, not just Jennifer Lowell, but also the character as well. But yeah, it's for all intents and purposes. Um, the, the issue that I have with mystique and again, you know, I, as red blooded American male, especially at the time before when, when we were worried less about, Issues like consent about issues like inclusion when when it was okay, which it shouldn't have been. Um, for for us to go, hey, in this in this movie about equality, let's ogle women. Um, um, there is the issue I have with it being Mystique is that Mystique in the comics is smart and and her dialogue is always punchy and she's ruthless and she's scheming. You know what I mean? She's she's more like a Bond villain than she is a Bond girl. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So oh, that's a great distinction. Yeah. She's yeah, she's one of the schemers. Yeah. And she is always Raven Darkholm. Like even when she's mystique, she's right. Like she is she is someone who manipulates. That's what her ability is, is to manipulate. Here they use they use it more that she is, you know, it's always handy to have someone who can change their shape. But she in yeah, this it's, one is utilitarian. Do much yeah. Yeah. Um again, 
Same thing, because this movie's only really interested in Wolverine and, and Xavier and Magneto and to a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, you know, and again, uh, so yeah. for, uh, you, you kind of have, since this is the first, it's the film that has introduced all these characters, really can only focus on a few, so I get that. Um, and that's true. It's, again, figuring out the dynamic of a team movie like this, super hard. Um, Joss Whedon mm-hmm. wrote a lot of this script, which then was completely thrown out, um, and only one line of Joss Whedon survives into this film. It's the worst line of the I thought that the whole I, I thought that the uh of uh the you're a dick I think is also his the, line. The you're a dick. I think that I think that's also yeah. Joss Whedon, isn't it? Yeah. But the toad line is also So we've talked mm-hmm. about again, Magneto. The, but that to, the toad the, the do you know what happens to a toad that gets struck by lightning line? I have heard an argument. I'm not 100% convinced about it. Uh but I have heard the argument that the only reason why the line is terrible is because of Halle Berry's delivery, and that if you had someone who understood Eden Snark a little bit more, they'd be able to get away. She does that deliver it, said, and I am quoting, the same thing that happens to everything else is the way she yeah. says it. She could the, be uh, quoting George Carlin, and it wouldn't be funny that yes, said that way. That being so, said, even even if you had the best Whedon actress doing it, it's not his best work across his yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's and 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 Storm shouldn't be joking. That's not what Storm does. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talked about the villains. We talked about uh, the lair. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the death of Senator Kelly and what they do. First of all, the first Stanley cameo is here uh, as he walks across the the beach. We see Stanley at the hot dog stand. The first of many oh, yeah. Stanley cameos, but this I believe this is the first Stanley, Stanley cameo, cameo yeah. we're ever going to. Um, mm. uh, we can we can talk about the plot the plot part of it. Um, and, and problems or things that we liked about the, but, uh, I do want to talk a little bit first about Bruce Davison's incredibly weird and, and off-putting performance as, uh, as Senator Kelly is, it's so good. Like whatever it's so, and, and, and like the, the man does just a great job in a character that doesn't do as much as you might think he does. He's not in the movie all that much. It's just that every time mm-hmm. he's there, it's just you hate him. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is interesting. The uh, I was I was thinking would se- if this movie were made today, were Senator would Senator Kelly the exact same character be different? Like was um he was not normally when politicians want to come out and say something that is you know, bigoted or racist. There's you know there's the concept of oh there's coded language that we use. Uh you know for instance we talk about. You know, we talk about somebody coming from an urban upbringing. Really what we... Um, Senator Kelly is not using coded language at all. He is... Uh, he's just coming straight out and, you know, essentially calling a mutant a mutant. Uh, and... The, he does make... And so, he does... Go ahead. Uh, so, interestingly, from what I remember of politicians at the time... So, in when this movie came out in 2000, it makes Senator Kelly a little bit... Um, a little bit too black and white. Uh not enough of a politician. Um, now, the irony is, if this movie had come out today in 2018, I would have said, yep, Senator Kelly, absolutely the kind of politician we got right now. No coded language, just let's just come right out and, and say it. Um, well, so and I thought I that was just that, an interesting thing. I think that there's, uh, and, and and he does do it, I think there's an opportunity to 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 see behind his eyes he does have he does have an interesting conversation with mystique when he thinks it's henry peter gyrich um uh about about why he feels the way that he the conversation he has on the phone while she's there is there is an interesting point that he does make that that the problem the problem with me is of course how how powerful they are mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when he says you believe in gun control well some of these mutants are 10 times more powerful than any handgun 
<coughs> yeah. Sorry, I mean he does have he does have a point that if there really were mutants, the idea that you could suddenly develop deadly, credible power in the middle of your adolescence would be mm-hmm. concerning. Oh yeah, he that definitely would be comes a- from he he definitely comes from a I believe he comes from a perspective of no, this is legitimately about security and safety. And it's just that he's willing to it's not just that it's not that he hates mutants and wants to see them crushed. It's that he is willing to forego uh willing to forego human basic human rights for a small percentage in order to secure safety for a larger bridge, which you know, which is uh, certainly a, a very apt a uh, very apt issue right now even well and in, it's in, yeah it's a very apt issue right now because i mean you go to you know and i don't i don't want to get political on the show i don't i don't i don't but there the idea that you now would have to rel- you know in our day and age that you would have to register your religion mm-hmm. um yeah that sort of thing is you know is to go well there's been a danger the an associated danger that can be perceived as part of this and not part of that and so maybe we can go after this i remember when i was in high school there was a uh a little bit of a rash of gang violence and they uh and nothing really bad but they um they outlawed handkerchiefs in the school mm-hmm. because you know the association because, you know, red and blue handkerchief signs, yeah yeah um which is not going to accomplish anything but it it, it gives the perception of of doing something mm-hmm. um i think i think that uh you're right i think today he would be played um more bombastic which i think would be a mistake because i think you need to play him as sympathetic for him to be really as icky as he is, you have to well, actually, with the, have no, the moment. The thing. Actually, I think he was for to di- like my feeling was as a character. And don't get me wrong, I thought he worked quite well in the movie. So I'm being really nitpicky here. Um, if he were made today, that is exactly the character that I would want to see. Made in 2000, he came across as a little bit too bombastic. Yeah, no, I see that. Like, like, like at the time, he wouldn't go, "What they could do." He does. Yeah, in, he, yeah, he, 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 yeah. He wouldn't come across. As, he he wouldn't say. You know, in 2000, he wouldn't necessarily say, "I want to just lock them all up." Well, I think it's also really interesting that throughout the X Men movies, this whole idea of mutant registration has been mm-hmm. this key thing, right? Um, and now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's the Sokovia. The same yeah. idea that if you if you are you know powered, you need to register for with the. That's what Civil War is about. Yeah. Is do you have to register with the government? Does the government have a right to control what you do, or do you have the same right to freedom if you're powered or if you're not powered? Um, you know, now that I think about it, I feel like fully half of the political issue it all comes down to individuals on their own are great and important virtues. But it's what really wrestling with which virtue. Um, and you know, and that's that's gun control, that's that's anti-terrorism, that's privacy, that's all of it. Is those two? Um, that's that's the thing for our age. Um, uh, so we get to you know the the third act of the movie. Essentially, you have a cool scene on a train. It is cool watching that train rip itself open. It's one oh, shot, yeah. but I just go they they had to do that. Like that was not that was not CG. They they mm-hmm. ripped that train apart from the outside while people were inside it. It's pretty damned cool. Um uh the the twist of of oh, dear boy. For you. Um, oh, that uh, was wonderful. Yeah, it's a great twist. Um and then we get to the third act of the which I'm going to come straight out and say um is in my opinion where the film falls apart. Uh, I feel like they've done a lot of good world building. I think that you know, Wolverine and the the mansion and Magneto and Xavier, they've gotten a, a lot right. Cyclops, some stuff not a, quite as right as I'd like. I will say this, and we've talked about how Dr. Jean Grey is not the Jean Grey that I know. 
but they did mm-hmm. get the Wolverine Cyclops gene relationship. Oh yeah, they um, nailed that. That is everything that I ever knew from the comics. Is and and they, I think that stays right throughout the first two X. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, just to, but just then to, to the- interest, just to jump in, actually, it occurs to me that what defines Cyclops, you know, if we're talking about lines that define a, a character, um, what sums up the Cyclops in this film is, you know, when Logan says, "Are you going to tell me to stay away from your girl?" and Cyclops shows that he has the intelligence and the wisdom to say, "If I had to tell you that." she wouldn't be my girl but then he immediately goes on to say and stay away from my girl so it's like cyclops is this person who's just like dude you know better you've got the intelligence cyclops much like in the comics just gets in his own way so much i I can't i i i can't agree with you i think that that's that's it's stuff that's right but we get to the third act and so the un is meeting on ellis island and so of course uh magneto has put the crazy spinny thing on top of the torch of the Statue of Liberty. Um, and he's going to give his powers to Rogue. And Rogue's going to make it go. And and the X-Men have to get up to the top. I guess it sort of works. Structurally, I guess it works. The idea of, you know, it's the alien structure where you go, okay, you need to get between, you get to point B, you're at point A, and all the obstacles are between you. But is mm-hmm. maybe I'm jaded by what we get in every comic book movie from this point forward, and I know this movie is only made for 70 minutes, which in comic book movie terms is nothing, but yeah. a fight in the gift shop is just not doing it for me. It's just, it's not. The action in this film is lackluster and pretty terrible. Well, I was thoughts. thinking about that. I, I was thinking about that, but then I, it, it's it's so hard to take myself back 2000 and trying to remember, okay, what are my expectations for a superhero expectations. film back <laughs> then? Yeah, because the, oh, ha, I see what you did there, and I hate you. Yes. Um, time, I remember thinking that the action was not necessarily, although I agree with you now, aside from essentially one pretty decent fight with Deacon Wolverine, uh, yeah, in the third act, there's not much. Uh, well, here's the here's the first thing, is that is that setting matters. Being in a gift shop reeks of, we don't have enough money. Like, it just, see that. it, like, and, and you say, what, what passed for action back then? I mean, yes, there were smaller movies, but, you know, this is 16 years after or or 14 years after Aliens. And this is, you know, after T2 and True Lies, I got to name things that aren't James Cameron movies. Um, You know, this is, you know, right at the same time The Matrix is happening. Well, actually, that, I think that's a good point. I would not. And what it is, is I would not classify after watching it again. I would not classify X-Men as an action film any more than I would classify the Superman as an action. It's. It's a different thing. Um, it is a different X Men. I don't know that X-Men it should be a different thing. Yeah, now that that's certainly an argument you can make. But yes, X Men is decidedly lacking in action. And and like, let's call it out. It's because it's decidedly lacking in money. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a seventy possible, million dollar yeah. film. It Fox was not ready to throw everything at this film. There's a mm-hmm. chance that this weird film about a guy with knife hands, you know, and and telepathy, and and would just be too nerdy, and nobody yeah. would dig it and they're they're you know so yeah set it in the gift shop and we'll see what happens um so guy with the cgi hands, isn't the great like subtitle for- um the the it's bored like it's 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 incoherent there's there's this this odd i mean we can talk about i guess let's talk about the fight between it's cool enough um the coolest moment in the whole fight is when she pops the claws and he cuts them off um yeah, agreed it's it's brutal and you're like oh yeah she can't make those kind of yeah. um uh, you have the storm line. You have everyone gets their moment. Ray Park gets to remind you that he used to be Darth Maul. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's just sort of 
everything about it sucks um up to and including the the false ticking clock sense attention wait we got a shot no hold on wait no i gotta take it just hold on like everything at there at the end is is you know i just want to come straight out and say that it doesn't work for me at, and and okay. i would almost have rather them not do it than do it the way that they- like not do it no no the action at the end i like if you're if you're not gonna if you if you can't do it right it's you know here's I'm I'm such a freaking hypocrite for saying this because I made a bunch of films to try to be much bigger than they are with not enough money. Um, mm-hmm. And you do what you can, but there there's a sense that when you're 20th Century Fox, it shouldn't look like B movie action, and a lot of time it does. It's clunky, um, but that's a money thing, and I and I understand it, and it did what it needed to do. Um, I thank God for X2. You get you know you get a, a course correct, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, it happens. I guess we need to talk about it. How do you feel about the the mutant changer thing that needs Magneto's powers that also needs Rogue's powers as a um, Oh, it's just it's a huge huge plot device. Um and certainly it's the it is the more so than anything else in the film. This is the thing that requires the most amount of hand waving. That a there's this incredible thing that can, you know, change people first. That's, you know, even by the scientific power level standard the film sets, that's B, it's like the, oh, and Magneto controls it with his power. And it's just like, do it by you know, making the magnet. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but, you know, the, uh, but it's, it is, it's done to a degree that's well enough that I am willing to. Do, I, I recognize that there is hand waving necessary, and yet I am willing to do the hand waving if that makes. Um, yeah, I did a. I, the time I was by, the first couple times I saw it, I was. Now it's just it seems silly. It seems silly. and what bums me out. The problem with it seeming silly is that with a movie that is so serious and so interested in being serious, that for it to be so silly at the end is unfortunate. Like I don't you know what see. It might be? I think they tried to make they tried to make the stakes too high at the end of this. Essentially, what they needed was because essentially what they're fighting for at the end is oh my god, you're about to kill all of, me. and that is what required them to have Rogue as the character or power and all that. There, this was the first film. Now, granted, they didn't know if there was going to be a second film, but you don't need to make the stakes that high right out of the gate it didn't need to be something that was capable of literally no, i'm i'm and I i'm think with you, you would, I, i'm with you 100 percent. it's just the, yeah, for me would, it's just if you would let go thing. of that need then you wouldn't have needed to develop quite such a as you say silly plot device um i will say this i will give this i will say that there are two shots uh that make it almost worth it um uh the first shot is uh is the the the, the you're a dick line and the and the flipping him off line that's really cool. Um, yeah. And then is and as much as you know, post Matrix, everybody thought it was so cool the way Wolverine uses his claws to flip around. That thi- I think it's a terrible, terrible CGI shot. I hate it. Um, yes, I. Agree. But there is a shot where, where Wolverine finally engages with Sabretooth, and it goes to slow mo, and Sabretooth's hair kind of goes out. You have the rah, and it's just like the cover of Uncanny X Men two thirteen. And mm-hmm. I like that they gave they gave that epic moment to you. Um. Uh, I I enjoyed the story that Wolverine gives his, you know, gives his uh, healing to Rogue and you see all of his old wounds reopened, which it doesn't make sense. They it's not like they were, you know, not healed. Mm-hmm. They were healed. It's not it's like a, the healing it's factor a cool still. Poetic, it, it's cool. It's a cool poetic moment. I understand it's a cool poetic moment. But it's ruined for me because the CGI is not great there. Um, mm-hmm. There's a thing that happens. You know, people go, oh, they ran out of money for for 
at the end of film. Largely, that is true when you're shooting action sequences, or, or rather, sorry, mm-hmm. largely that is not true when you're shooting action sequences because those are often shot shot out of sequence. But these, the yeah. effects for a film often done in sequence. Like the film is assembled, you know the effects are coming, and then the effects are kind of done from the beginning. You can that see is interesting to me. I, I would have thought that they would have prior like with effects, just like with any shooting thing. It's like okay, what moments do we good? Let's prioritize those. Well, and they do sometimes, but I think there's also you know people are disorganized and people think linearly and i just feel like the effects at the end mm. of this film don't compare with the effects at the beginning um but they do what they can you know there's you know alexi and i on trek off have had a number of conversations about how she loves the original star trek and i can't watch it because i can't be that imaginative <laughs> like i just mm-hmm. i can't do it i can't get past the cardboard sets um interesting and- so what you're so interesting so what we have there is that the advent of special effects have literally dampened your imagination i'm not saying that's a bad thing that Maybe. is an interesting thing for us to think about yeah because think um, about it the well and like, here's the thing here specifically with x-men what are they competing they're competing with the written page where any or the drawn page where anything can happen. there is no but you can do anything you want yeah. planets can explode and you know all it takes is a pen um although and I to be that. to be to be honest too they are also at the time competing with the matrix which also was relatively low budget, and yet all of those special effects, they effing nailed. They, so they, there they is a little it. bit of that. And I don't know if they're competing with as much as they're trying to ape. They're trying to do mm-hmm. it and just well, not... Yeah, pretty not much for not. The Matrix, literally literally every film, just about every film, any kind of big budget action film that came out for five years after The Matrix was trying to ape them in some way. There's a movie called Romeo form. Must Die, which is Romeo and Juliet with martial oh, arts where every time movie. somebody it's gets so hit, bad but it's so good yeah they're, they 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 they're like oh, what if we show inside the body the x-ray of what it's like when a foot hits like they're really trying mm-hmm. they're really trying yeah, or so blade hard. you know or because we will huh, we will be reviewing this at some point uh blade two where all of the camera work during the actions is like let's take let's do bullet cam to the max i love blade two I Blade Two is gonna be high on my list of of comic. Oh, that that'll be a good episode. It'll be a good episode. Um, so we get to the end. <laughs> that'll um, be an interesting day. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, Mal uh, or Jane. Um, we get to we get to the end. We have the denouement. Everyone, you know, everyone's happy. They go off on their way. Wolverine goes off to seek seek you know the the answers to his problems up in Canada. Um, and we get to the closing credits, and that is. X-Men. But before we get to the closing credits, we have the scene that saves the movie from its own silly. Um, Because the movie's gotten very, very silly. And we get a scene that if the set wasn't perfect, and dear Lord, the set is perfect, it wouldn't have worked. Um, Magneto is in a plastic and Xavier shows up to play chess with him. Mm -hmm. And it, everything you might have felt about the movie being silly comes back down to these two great actors delivering lines to one another. And the scene is awesome, in my opinion. It's just awesome. Um, and it's interesting. I've said to my son, uh, many times, you know, no matter how bad you are, no matter how much you misbehave at a party, no matter how much you think you've messed things up with your friends when you've gone and hung out with them, half of what everybody remembers is what happened in the last two minutes. So if you leave mm-hmm. on a good note, then no matter how, like you can be really, really awesome and then have a bad five minutes and leave, or you can have a terrible two hours and have a good five minutes and leave and people will feel the same way. And I think interesting that this last scene, when it comes to, uh, interesting tangent when it comes to theme park design for all those theme park designers out there listening that is why parking lot management counts for so much because the parking lot is literally the first and last thing you remember about your trip here's i i 
I can name a park that uh, maybe doesn't manage the exit from the park, uh, but I won't name it. Uh, but uh, the 11 p.m. exit from um, the bottlenecks. Does it rhyme with Schmizny? It doesn't rhyme with Schmizny. I love Schmizny. He's my, I love, I mean, we both love Schmizny. Um, yeah. What is your feeling about the scene? Does this f- scene do a lot to redeem, to, to take the silliness of the film and draw it back down to its core Tone. Oh, yeah. I think exactly how you describe it is a reminder that the heart of this film is about the relationship, but it's about the relationship men and honestly, the clash of ideals. The heart of the, you know, it's because really far more interesting, uh, a moral, like a moral debate, uh, far more interesting than the, you know, mutants versus moral debate that that is that's put there, although that's a good one. But it's the okay, we are people who are being oppressed. What is the appropriate way to respond to that? Essentially, this is... We are we non-human. are incredibly powerful people to destroy our oppressors, but we would have to destroy innocence to do it. Should oh, yeah, it? that's a good point. It is... It is uh, yeah, that's true, because especially as established um, in the second film, uh, as we'll discuss, like if Charles Xavier wanted to literally destroy humankind without that much effort, and... As the, could Magneto. Frankly, if, if Magneto, Magneto yeah. really cut loose, like really cut loose, he could too. Um, yeah. Even he holds back to a point. You know, even in this mm-hmm. movie, he is not trying to kill everybody in this film. Yeah. He isn't trying to kill anybody in this film. He's willing to. He kills a few people like guards and stuff, but he doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, he largely is not trying to murder everybody. It's just he's yeah. going to. Um, yeah, that's a good that's And a then good the film ends. Uh, yeah. the, the film ends. Credits roll. Um the music is lackluster. You don't remember the tune at all. Um, it's uh, it it comes and to I an think, end, well, and, and the, the music it? seems the music will seem particularly lackluster for those who loved the TV show because the '80s cartoon theme sh- song, but um, that show, it was awesome. It was like that. I only bring up the music now because I will have more to say about the music now. Uh, but that's X-Men. So uh, at the end of all of this, this has been a much longer podcast. Uh, you know, Full disclosure, you probably heard a change in audio quality. Uh, we yeah. split this over the course of two weeks. So if we were redundant on a couple of things, we're sorry. Um, we're so sorry. Uh, but but uh, but uh, it's worth, you know, in that we're going to be doing 10 films in the series. I think an hour and a half is a good amount of time to spend on this first X-Men because yeah. it will mm-hmm. define superhero movies to come. It will define, you know, Fox's, the jewel in Fox's crown will be either like this or in the case of Deadpool, deliberately railing against this. But this is, mm-hmm. this, this is, is an inc- the, at the end of the day, this is an incredibly important film. So on our scale of one to five, on a scale of one five adamantium claws uh where would you rate this film i'll let you go first uh i would rate this as i think a four um now that we've discussed it and gone back through everything it's got enough flaws in it that on its own out of context i might give it a 0.5 um maybe uh even out of context, I'm torn between definitely because of not just its quality. Because um, overall, I think it it does hold up. Um, but also because of, like we said, it's an important film. This, what the superhero genre needed was a film to come out and not only not suck, but be good enough and draw interest so that people, that studios realized, oh, people are willing to take this seriously. This was not a campy film. This was a serious film. It had flaws in it, but this film set out to be a serious... I would say that uh, the film on its own, um, minus the things I'm going to bump it up for, would be a three. Um, uh, Because it's as a film, if I weren't an X-Men fan and I weren't engaged by the themes of the film, I wouldn't 
enjoy the film as opposed to the matrix i was not a matrix fan before i saw the Matrix. this film i don't think uh would necessarily convert a lot of people to x-men fans except that wolverine is done so well so um, good and that the themes of the film are ambitiously uh deep um this you mm-hmm. know the, you can either try and do that um or you can do a film that just you know knocks it out of the park where there's no thematic resonance but it's just great. like thor ragnarok like there, that is not a film with deep theme but that you no. know, will get super high marks for execution in this case the fact that they're, they're willing to go you know what we're, we're going to talk about racism and oppressed peoples and and inclusion and you know self-discovery and so many things they're trying to do this film and it'll be so easy to look at the the four color x-men on the page especially in the 90s where you know hologram covers you know and mm-hmm. and and to miss the heart of it um, I have to give real props to the writers and to Brian Singer for saying, you know what, what is the heart of X-Men? Because what these X-Men are not, these X-Men are not the X-Men from the comics at the time. They're much more indicative of the X-Men back in the 80s. But at the time, yeah. they were doing the Age of Apocalypse and Gambit. And, you know, it would be so easy to go, let's make them so cool. And they don't. They they mm-hmm. they drop back to be quieter, more thoughtful a thing that I think defines comic book movies. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to give it, um, you know, I'm going to give it a 4.5 that it doesn't deserve. The film itself okay. deserves a 3.75, but you got to get something for being the first. You know, I've said this about my yeah. dad is a big fan of classic rock and he'll play me uh, like people doing like lead guitar solos. And I'll go, these aren't that great. Like, like I go, Jimi Hendrix, as good as he is, every single thing that Jimi Hendrix plays um, you know, someone who's been playing guitar 10 years now can play. Why? Because they grow up playing it. They listen to it and they reverse engineer. It. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I would go like a, a guitarist like Steve Vai is probably a, you know, a better lead guitarist than Keith Richards. Um, but Keith Richards did it first. What's well, all about standing on the needs- shoulders of giants. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, is that what makes Jimi Hendrix is not, you know, for the time he was the best who ever lived. And mm-hmm. the reason that people are as good as they are now is because he raised the bar and, and people had to rise up to me. So for that reason, I'm going to give this movie you know, a 4.25. I'm going to give it an extra 0.25 for setting the, the standard by which everything else can be judged. So, yeah. Yep. But uh, for now, uh, my name is Justin. And I am Arthur. And uh, hey, true believers, stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek so podcast Trek with Justin off, and Search Alexia. for Pop-Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment. 